This is Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe. Now, here's Patrick McEnroe. All right, time for another edition of Holding Court here. Patrick McEnroe, very happy to welcome in uh, my longtime friend, my longtime agent, Mr. Sandy Montag. Sandy, how are you today? Patrick, it's a pleasure uh, to be with you, as always. Well, you know, it's funny because over the course of the last few weeks as I've, I've organized my podcast, you've been a big supporter in getting that going for me. Over, It's taken me a while to finally do it, but uh, thanks, thanks in part to this global pandemic, I finally figured out how to use this machine in my basement. So I'm texting back and forth with Sandy. And I'm telling them sort of the theme of the podcast, which is going to be people that are very successful in what they've done and uh, have a career generally outside of tennis, but have a huge interest and a passion for tennis. So I'm throwing out some names to Sandy. He's already helped me get a couple people like Christopher Mad Dog Russo, one of his longtime clients. Sandy says, how about having me on the show? I said, wait a second. You, you, I, I didn't know you were into tennis. So tell me the story, Sandy. I never even knew this. Well, Patrick, as you know, um, I am five foot six on a good day. So growing <laughs> up uh, in Tenafly, New Jersey, right? You know, I, I was always a big, big sports fan. A big, you know, I was also interested in broadcasting. Marv Albert was my hero, but I, I played all sports at Tenafly uh, and up through Tenafly High School. But you know, I was not that good. In fact, when there was a pickup game on my friend's driveway, uh, you know, and there were ten people. You know, I, I'd be the last one picked, and it would always be like, all right, Montag, will take you. <laughs> um, so, I, you know, I found, though, that I was pretty good at tennis. You know, uh-huh. I had good hand-eye coordination. I was pretty fast side to side. Mm-hmm. And really, you know, growing up, um, I mean, I really – that was the one sport that I – I wouldn't say excelled at, but I was really good at. Um, we went to – I went to summer camp for many years, and then – my parents thought I was good enough that I should just go to a tennis camp for a few summers. So I went to, I think it was the New England tennis camp in, in the Trinity Polling School upstate okay. a little bit. And I went for a couple of summers. And then I ended up playing um, on, on my high school tennis team, played A doubles, if I remember. Wow. A doubles and B singles. And, and I was crafty, you know, paid, played in a bunch of county tournaments. Played in, you know, I was a USGA, USTA junior. I had a card, the whole thing. So I, I would say, you know, growing up, that ten, uh, tennis was my best sport to play. Mm-hmm. Plus being a huge, a huge fan of, of, uh, of the sport. My parents were big tennis fans. We used to go to the U.S. Open, uh, even back at the Westside Tennis Club um, and, 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 and through, you know, through today. But we always used to go with fans. My parents loved it. So really, I, you know, I did have a, a love of tennis um, and uh, it you know, carried through to my professional career. Well, speaking of your professional career, because you, you've represented me and you've been a great friend for many, many years, and I certainly appreciate that. But your list of uh, people you represent is pretty amazing. Mike Tirico, who's one of the all-time greats. I know you got your start in, with John Madden years and years ago, so I want to ask you about that. Bob Costas, Scott Van Pelt, of course, as we mentioned, our good buddy Christopher Mad Dog Russo, who's a big tennis player. But I, I could see that in you because you, you said uh, you know a, a couple of words. Crafty. You're definitely crafty. You've been crafty your whole career, which is why you are now the man in, in sports broadcasting and representation and doing a lot more, which I know you'll 
tell me about, but, uh, but also feisty. You know, resilient, because uh, that's the kind of thing. That's the great thing about tennis, Sandy, as you know, is, you know, because believe me, I played team sports, too, and I was sort of a middle-of-the-road soccer player and not great in basketball. So, I, you know, I didn't get picked first all the time either, or maybe even closer to last in basketball. But uh, tennis was something that really appealed to me because I could do it on my own. I used to love, you know, I like the solitary nature of it. So I'm, I'm guessing that, uh, you know, you've been – so committed to your career and what in helping people like me over the years, how do you correlate sort of the things you learned in tennis that you've brought into your career, which has spanned, you know, well over 30 years now in broadcasting? Well, that, I mean, I think that's an interesting correlation. I think, you know, I, I never, the word no, I've never understood the word no. So even growing up, you know, when I, whether I had a paper, a newspaper route at age 10 or or bagels at age 12 and started a t-shirt company in high school. Yeah, I just, I was always one of those kids growing up that was crafty and creative and thought out of the box. And I just think, you know, even I remember playing tennis, you know, even if it's the best two out of three and you lose the first set, Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that you can't win the next two sets. So, you know, so many times we've seen it and, you know, I, I think I remember sitting in New Haven years ago watching you play an amazing match in the rain till two in the morning. Yeah, but I think, yeah. I, I think you know, so I, I just never felt in any sport that you're out of it until it's over. And, you know, I, I think in business today, I think it's you – know, I, I wasn't the smartest student to come out of Syracuse University, but I really believe that no one out-hustled me no one outworked me. No one was more creative. And, and even in our company now at the Montag Group, I mean, we really try to think out of the box. We don't want to do anything traditional. And we don't really take no for an answer. I mean, you, you and I have talked about various things that you've wanted to do in your broadcasting career. And I, I don't think I've ever once said, well, we can't do that. You know, I, I think you have a great ability to you're a great broadcaster you're also one of the few people that can you know be a host be play-by-play be an analyst you know you have to put up with uh with your older brother which is not the easiest thing to do (laughs) and and um you know so i I just believe i i think that's a good correlation that in sports it's not over until the whistle blows or until you uh until it you know you have to go up to net and shake your opponent's hand and and I think that's a good way to look at it in, in life and in business. You know, not, nothing is over. You could just, the game is still going. Yeah, well, that's the great thing about tennis. You're right. And I, I believe that was a match I played against Sergi Bruguera right before the U.S. Open years ago. And I think I lost it in a third set tiebreak. I don't know, maybe I won it. But my dad, of course, was there and you were friendly with him and uh, put up with him as well. And my dad used to say to me, all you got to do is win the last point. You know, that was that was his advice as a tennis parent, which he learned uh, over the years watching myself and my brother. But I'm going to get to you and your background, because it's so interesting. You just mentioned you weren't the best student at Syracuse. Well, now you're on the board there. I know you have a great connection to the university. You just did a a Zoom class for them this morning in the middle of this pandemic. So that's amazing. But tell me a little bit about how you got started, because I know you started at IMG when you were basically out of college in in 1985. So you were there for over 30 years before you left and went on your own. So, So tell me a little bit how that started and then how you started that amazing relationship that you had with the great John Madden. Well, I mean, I, I, as I said, Marv Albert was my uh, idol growing up. I mean, I still have 
cassette tapes here of of me eight years old trying to imitate Marv and and you know Marv, Marv not only was a great national broadcaster but he was also the voice for the Knicks and the Rangers in our youth. Yep. And people don't even remember that he did the Rangers on radio, mm-hmm. which to me. He was the best radio play-by-play guy I've ever heard. So I go to Syracuse where Marv went. I thought, I thought I'd be the only kid from the tri-state area that would want to do that. So the first day, I go into class. There's hundreds of kids just like me who want to do the same thing. <laughs> and I remember calling my parents and saying, this, this is not a secret. Everyone wants to do this. And I was a little taken aback by it. And, and really over the course of my first year, decided that this is really going to be hard to do. And I started doing other things at Syracuse. I wrote for the Daily Orange, the student newspaper. I became a football manager, worked at the dining hall, did all sorts of things. And then, you know, when I became a football manager, one day uh, someone came in and said, hey, ESPN's coming up to do a basketball game. The Big East, we're in the Big East back then, Big East game of the week on Monday. They need someone to keep talent stat. Mm-hmm. Montag, why don't you do it? You're always talking numbers. So I said, well, <laughs> what do you have to do? Right. Well, basically, you have to sit at the announce table next to the talent, you know, the play-by-play and the analyst, and just give them points and rebounds. So I sit next to this bald guy who wouldn't stop talking. Mm-hmm. Uh, his name was Dick Vitale. And, um, and I did it. And, I, and again, I remember calling my parents saying, you would not believe this. I got paid $50 to sit in the front row of the carrier dome Mm-hmm. All I had to do was give this wacko um, <laughs> points and rebounds, and it, it's a scam. And so, uh, essentially, I started doing that for every game um, when the network came up, whether TSPN or CBS came up to do basketball. And then one day, the, the producer, um, Steve Anderson, uh, said to me, hey, we have a game in Pittsburgh next week. If you can get to Pittsburgh, mm. I'll give you two days' work, $100. Wow. And so that kind of started it. I ended up working for People Express Airline just to get free travel mm-hmm. throughout the country. And during my time at Syracuse, I probably worked over 100 games as a stats person uh, and as a PA. And, and, you know, today stats, I mean, you when you were at the U.S. Open, you have computers and right. you have – yeah, everything. Back then, you know, I, I was I was keeping a running score of a basketball game. And when my play-by-play, you know, if he said, well, Syracuse is on a 16-4 to run, that's because I'm tabulating that, not some computer. Mm-hmm. And um, when I got out of school, um, I was on the Madden Summerall team for CBS doing stats than doing being a PA. And Madden, um, a well-known non-flyer, was traveling by train. He was just starting to get popular. Mm-hmm. Had done his Miller Lite commercials. Uh, had been with Pat Summerall for several years, and and someone he needed someone to travel with him by on the train. Someone suggested me, mm-hmm. and I interviewed with him. And you know, he he said, "Well, what the heck? Let's try it." And um, so, so he my, so he really basically my, so he basically hired you away from a, like a, a job with CBS just to work for him personally. Well, I did both. You did so both. What okay. I would do then, what I would do then is travel with him back in the day on Amtrak. It would take seventy-two hours to go coast to coast. Oh my From gosh. New York, he lived uh, in Oakland. Right. So imagine not only did it take seventy-two hours, but it took seventy-two hours, and we did not have a cell phone. Mm-hmm. So you cannot imagine today going cross country mm. without a cell. It would be like 
it would be like quarantine in a way. Yeah, you couldn't you um, couldn't imagine going uh, to the store without your you know without your phone. Yeah, you, you, you feel naked without yeah. it. So, but what it afforded us the ability to do was a couple of things: talk, which right. today is now we're doing more of that. You know, when we're in quarantine, I think we're kind of we're getting. You know, we may take hey, I got to run, I can't talk to you now. You know what? Now we're talking to people, mm-hmm. and it's kind of nice to do that again. But so we were able to talk and develop a relationship. We're able to see the country, which we have a beautiful country that most of us just fly over. Mm-hmm. You know, okay, it's a five-hour flight to Los Angeles. Boom. You forget there's a heck, you know, Nebraska. If you go east to west on Route 80 through Nebraska, it takes eight hours. Most people have never done that. Right. But it's a beautiful state. Lincoln, Nebraska is a beautiful city. So you're able to see the country, drank a lot of Miller Lite, uh-huh. and, and really just, just, you know, formed a relationship which – um, you know, kind of led me. And then as we're doing that, you know, people would come up to him and say, Hey, you want to speak at our booster club? Here's my business card. Or, Hey, do you want to maybe do a commercial for my bank? And, and I started kind of messing around with things like that. Mm-hmm. He was already a client of IMG at the time. Right. And, um, he sent me over to IMG to Barry Frank to say, Hey, you know, I mean, he's traveling with me. Maybe you could do so IMG essentially hired me to be John's full-time assistant. And in the off season, I went into the office, started answering phones, started, you know, signing other broadcasters. And really, I fell into the business, to be honest with you. I mean, today, there are over 700 schools where you can get a degree in sports management. Uh, there was zero when I went. And mm-hmm. not only that, I had no idea what I was doing. So I just, I'm lucky. I fell into it. As you know, it's a relationship business. It's all about people. It's all about working hard. And, you know, I, I just, I was able to learn on the fly. If you ask John Madden, he would tell you that, well, I just took Montag off the streets and basically gave his entire career. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, he's not, he's not on with us. So I, I probably would acknowledge that he had a humongous influence in, in what I did. But I also learned a lot Patrick from him I you know one of the reasons he was a great broadcaster was he was able to relate to the everyday person in in the middle of the country and you know he saw the struggles that we've had and and you know I I, he just taught me a lot about people a lot about being present Um, and you know it's, it's been a great relationship you know I fell into the his video game deal in, mm. in the late 80s, which arguably was um, a pretty good deal for everybody. Um, yeah, I'd and, say so. You know, worked on a lot, <laughs> yeah, worked on a, a, lot, a lot of different things with him. And it's, um, you know, it's been, it's been really, uh, I've, I, I've looked at it that I really haven't worked a day in my career. I love what I do. Being in the sports and entertainment business is tremendous. Getting, you know, besides, the business relationship that you and I have, we're, we're good friends. We socialize. Um, you know, I, I love your wife's, uh, work and we often go to in, in regular times, go to 54 below and listen to her sing. And I just think those relationships to me are, are as important to anything I've done. Well, that's why you are, you are you. And I'll say that uh, anytime that I send you a text or give you a message, I know that I'm going to get a call back or a text back as soon as you're available, which I know is going to be extremely quick, uh, quickly. And, uh, it must've been nice though. When, when Madden, you guys moved from 
get it going on Amtrak to when you got that Madden Cruiser because that was uh, that was that was well known at the Madden Cruiser. So things things change quickly when that happened, huh? Well, I did. Well, uh, there was there was a day where we needed to get somewhere quickly, and look, Amtrak is Amtrak. It's government owned, and you really can't get like if you wanted to go from New York to Dallas on Amtrak, you have to get off in Meridian, Mississippi, and drive eight hours. So it's not a perfect system. So one day we had to be somewhere for a CBS shoot, mm-hmm. and we couldn't do it on the train. So they rented Dolly Parton's tour bus for right. us to get there, and we're on this thing, and it's a gorgeous bus, you know, and, and it's decked out and has every. And John turns to me and says, "We have to get ourselves one of these." <laughs> and you know, so that that the video game deal, and then doing a deal with Greyhound for uh-huh. the first ever Madden Cruiser. Were, were probably two of you know the most important deals in my career, certainly as an up and coming uh, person in the business. And it, it also what it does, you know, instead of seventy two hours coast to coast, it, it shaved off twenty hours. So it was fifty two hours coast mm-hmm. to coast. We we were able to set our own schedule. And as technology changed, we had satellite. We had the first bus that had set. What you have on JetBlue today, that mm-hmm. where you're able to get satellite TV, we had on on our Madden Cruiser in the late '80s, and we had cell phone and satellite phone technology, and it really, you know, it, it just afforded John instead of, you know, Amtrak. Okay, the train leaves at eight o'clock at night. We set the timetable, and it really, it, it kind of changed for him. It gave him a, a, a lot more independence and the ability to you know, maneuver his schedule the way he wanted it, um, which, you know, and, and he, we, we went on to build six Madden cruisers. Um, I kept the original for many, many years mm-hmm. here in the New York area, and we used it for family trips and various things. We, we recently donated the original to the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton. So you can, uh, if you're there, you can tour it, and we use it for underprivileged uh, kids and students in the um, Ohio area to come visit the Hall of Fame. Oh, that's amazing. I'm uh, speaking with Sandy Montag, who uh, runs his own company now, the Montag Group, and he represented me for many, many years and lots of other huge sports, and not just sports, but also uh, t- TV personalities. Now you do more in in the area of production, Sandy, and, and, and other work as well. But you said something earlier that I think is, is interesting to me at this point because we're all – uh, in quarantine, so to speak, we're all sort of learning. You know, I've learned how to use the Zoom to do webinars for our kids at our academy. You're doing the same for your kids at Syracuse. I figured out how to put my own podcast machine together. Uh, you're you're as tied into anyone with uh, you know with sports and 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 where the leagues are going to go and what's happening behind the scenes. What what, what do you see happening in the future? What kind of changes do you think? I know it's early and there's still a long way to go for us to get through this and hopefully get back to life as somewhat normal. But what, what changes do you think are possible now that we've sort of lived this for about a month going, going forward? Well, I think as a society in general, I think uh, the way we gather and the way we go to public events, at least for the short term, is going to change. I mean, you really, the psyche of our world is different today. You know, can you, in your mind, can you really think, okay, Taylor Swift is going to be at MetLife this summer, 80,000 people, 
I'm going to go. You know, you're, you're, you're in your psyche is probably, well, I don't want to be with that many people. I don't know who's sick. And mm -hmm. so I think for the sports business, I think the first thing that's going to change really is the live game experience. People are going to have to feel that they're safe and it's a healthy environment to go back to. And, you know, after 9-11, you remember before 9-11, you went to an airport. There was really no metal detector. You right. go on the airplane. Mm -hmm. Today, at every stadium around the world, you go through a metal detector. So it's not going to surprise me at some point if there's some sort of gauge, not only maybe to take a quick temperature, but to take a quick test to check do does, do you have a virus before or any sort of mm -hmm. illness before you walk into uh, a stadium like that? So I think we are going to see, and, and I was maybe a couple of months ago, Mad Dog said we were talking about um, going to games without fans. And I said they could never do that because if they do that, then they're basically going to show that the fan doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, we have a different viewpoint today. We are going to see sporting events soon, hopefully, or certainly this summer without fans. And we have to realize that, you know, we we are – imagine if there was an NBA game on tomorrow, the rating, what that would do because mm. we're over watching is, you know, CNN and uh, streaming Netflix shows. So I, I think, you know, the media industry and the money that the networks pay to the leagues are extremely important for their existence. So we're going to see games without fans that are just broadcast. Do you think and, it's do you think you know, it's West, I think it's likely to be baseball, basketball? What what would you guess right now? I would I would I would have to say that we will see a an NBA Finals and a Stanley Cup Finals played this year without fans. Wow. So I think we'll give out the if I had a if I had a guess, those things will happen. I think you know the big to me and we, we talked about it off the air the, the other day, you know, the U S open comes to the New York area in late August. And it seems, you know, it seems the way we're trending that sports will be back on by late August. That the U S open is a fan friendly event. Mm -hmm. It's an experience. It's not just tennis. You walk around, there's great food. That's going to be a tricky thing there. You know, can they, will they play the U S open right. without fans or is the country ready to have fans, and not only fans, but what, 20, 25,000 fans a day, where basically you're on top of each other, you know, at the food court. Um, it's, it's going to be tricky. So I, I think our psyche, just like after 9-11, most people, a lot of people were reluctant to travel. And then the travel industry came back and it was bigger than ever. Mm -hmm. Today, you know, it, it can you, in your mind, feel that I can be safe and healthy going to the U.S. Open. And it will be really interesting to see how it will bounce back because we, we are a society that not only forgets, but we get better and we make improvements. And I think a year from now, everything will be fine. But leading up to that, how do we get to that position? And I think there are going to be an awful lot of changes on the way we – you know, on, on the way we live, I think, you know, like we carry our iPhone in our back pocket like it's our third arm. Mm -hmm. I think we are going to carry a small bottle of Perel like it's a second cell phone. 
Interesting. And, um, well, I, I know, you, I know, way. I know you've always done that, so you've been ahead of the curve on that too, Sandy. But I think it's it, it's interesting to hear you talk about the the team sports coming back, and then let's hope we can all see that in the not too distant future. I think tennis has two two issues. Number one, as, as a professional tennis, I'm talking about. Number one is that, uh, as you said, the fans are on top of each other, but that's similar to other sports as well. It is outdoors for the most part, but you have fans and players and media that are coming from all over the world. So essentially things would have to be somewhat back to normal and under control all over the world, not just in this country, which is different if you're talking about Major League Baseball and basketball and hockey being able to play you know, within maybe one or two cities, for example. The other issue for tennis, and I know you know this better than anyone, is that most of tennis's revenues come from the daily gate as opposed to the television Correct. deals. Television deals are certainly part of it, but the most money that a Wimbledon or the U.S. Open gets comes from the fact Fans coming through the gates every day. Obviously, sponsorship is a big part of that. Merchandise, etc., food, all the things that happen every day. Whereas in you know football, obviously, and, and even the NBA, they're making a, a, a much higher percentage of their money from the sport is coming from the television world. I'm correct in that, right? Absolutely, you're correct in that. And and you know, I, I was. Um, corresponding with Adam Silver, the NBA commissioner, the other day. And I think, you know, for league, for his league and for many other leagues, they are going to have to make people feel safe in their stadiums and their environments. And that's going to be the first thing that people are going to need to do is to make people feel safe and healthy and it's a good environment. And I think whatever technology is out there, whatever – if you, you know, if you have something on your iPhone which can detect some sort of illness, wh- whatever it is, I think people are going to race to get to that point first because we need for the sports and entertainment business, you can't have a, a concert at MetLife Stadium without fans. Right. And you're right. You really can't have a tennis. You can't have a tennis, the sport of tennis and the great majors that – that we have around the world, you can't do that without fans. So we are going to, we have smart people in our country and in our world, and whether it's the Bill Gates of the world or whoever, the Elon Musk, whoever it might be, we have to get to the point very fast. Besides the vaccine, we have to get to the point where people, you, you feel safe now traveling on an airplane for the most part. We feel the world and the country has done a good job of securing our borders and making us feel that we can travel safely. We now need to do the same thing on health and safety with this pandemic. And I think the people that can get there fast, quickly, and efficiently will succeed first. Well, let's hope that uh, we in the sports TV business can back, get back into it as soon as possible. Sandy, I'll be sitting home during Wimbledon for the first time in many, many years. I know you've been a, uh, a guest there, how great that event is. And it sure would be amazing. You know, this is sort of my dream now that sort of New York as a city could could reopen with something like the U.S. Open. I'm not sure that's going to happen. Uh, in the meantime, Sandy, now that you've told me about your illustrious tennis career, 
I mean, it's time for you and me to get out there on the court. So we can do that probably before we can start playing professional tennis. Maybe we get the mad dog out there. We find a fourth. Maybe that John McEnroe guy would play with us. We could get a little doubles because I need to see. You tell me every day of how you're, you're grinding on the bike, doing the Peloton, you know, at five in the morning, you're up. You're an animal, Sandy, but I need you out there. I need to see this tennis game of yours now. Well, why don't we, if it's, if it's you, me, your brother, and dog, <laughs> why don't I, let, it, what, let's go with you and me versus dog and your brother. Yeah, I mean, I, I, think, I think the old lefty, I think if we take it to his backhand, go wide, you know, go wide there on, on the mm-hmm. serve, I, 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 think, I, think we can, I think we can do it. So I'd, I'd love to do something like that because, you know, right now, as, as a friend uh, told me the other day, it, it really feels like Groundhog Day every mm-hmm. day. And you wake up, and it's the same day, and nothing's changing. So I think we, we need something like that. Maybe we go over to Brandon Steiner's uh, stadium court and, and do that without fans. Absolutely. That would be very cool. You, I'll leave the, uh, the, the, my career strategy to you, Sandy, <laughs> and you leave the tennis strategy to me, especially when it comes to taking on my brother. Mad Dog, I'm not that worried about. My brother, yeah. that's another story. I will psych him out. You know, it's, it's all mental with your brothers. We'll, 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 get, we'll get in, you know, we'll get in his head. Sandy, thank you for uh, giving me the time and coming on today. Thank you for all you've done for me and my family and my career. And uh, let's hope we'll we'll all get through this. Looking forward to seeing you in person again. Patrick, it's a a pleasure being on with you. Um, I think this podcast is really going to be successful and uh, look forward to uh, many, many more years together of our our friendship uh, and our professional careers. You got it. Sandy Montag of the Montag Group. Appreciate you coming on, my friend. Thank you. Take care. Be safe. You got it. Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe is powered by Mudhouse Media.